In this episode, we talk to Kevin Marvinak, VP of Partnerships at ShipBob. Kevin explains the difference between most standard 3PLs and ShipBob, a brand who bends over backwards for their merchants by building their own warehouse management system and providing top-tier customer experience. We then talk through Kevin's passion for sustainability and how the e-commerce industry can make massive strides to better our world. Finally, we talk through Recharge's favorite statistic, lifetime value. ShipBob maintains a significant focus on LTV by providing opportunities for merchants to increase average order value and decrease churn. So let's hop in. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Chase. Appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about ShipBob. Yeah, well, I'm uh, so I'm Kevin Marvinak, VP of Partnerships here at ShipBob, uh, Chicago native, uh, also recovering entrepreneur. I founded a company in the ed tech space about six, seven years ago, um, ran that for a while, sold it. And then I've been at ShipBob ever since. So I've been here since uh, we were 40 employees with one warehouse, and now we're 35 warehouses and 1,200, 1,300 employees. So it's been quite a journey. Uh, I live now in Northern California with my family, um, my son, my dog, and my wife. I love the term recovering entrepreneur. There's so much conversation about how difficult it is. <laughs> Maybe that's the second part of this conversation. We do a debrief on uh, recovering entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Yes, absolutely. I could I could do a whole podcast about that, um, or we could just do it over a beer sometime. <laughs> Maybe that's more appropriate. There we go. Uh, what is ShipBob? Give us the uh, the overview there. Yeah, so ShipBob is a global three PL. I mean, really, it's it's nothing new to world in the sense that three PLs have existed for a long time. Um, so third party logistics, we store the physical inventory and then pick, pack, and ship the orders when they come in from wherever, whether they're subscription orders, whether they're one time orders, B two B orders, etc. So again, the concept is not new. This is not like a world-changing <clears throat> thing that we're doing here. Where, where our angle is a little bit different, and I think why we've seen such really fantastic growth, is the, the tech underpinning of it. I think historically, you know, our, our industry, the 3PL industry, is really fragmented. It's a lot of you know, mom and pops, the, the warehouse equivalent of mom and pops. It's the individual warehouses with maybe 15 clients max. Everything's running on Excel spreadsheets. Maybe they have a WMS to do some automation, but it's pretty, pretty low tech. And so what we decided to do, our founders really, is they decided to take the Shopify approach of great technology underpinning the basic stuff that all of us need to do and then sell it to everyone. So now even, you know, tire kickers and solopreneurs and, and dreamers can, can take advantage of this awesome, this awesome thing that or service that used to only exist in rarefied air to the people that could pay the money. And so we've done the same thing. Like we, we literally took the Shopify approach to fulfillment. We said, Hey, we're going to go after uh, anyone from SMB to, to solopreneur fulfilling out of my garage all the way up to 150, $200 million businesses. But our technology is what allows us to scale. Um, so again, not a new to world idea, but taking tech to this antiquated industry. And, and nowadays I'd say the, the biggest thing that, that, we do a little bit differently. It's just this customization at scale. You know, Amazon has great fulfillment. If you want fast and cheap fulfillment, Amazon will offer it, you know, similar to SFN with, with Shopify, where, where we are a lot different in our ethos is we serve brands who want customization. They want to own their experience. They want the custom unboxing. They want the subscription with the specific rules for first order ships in two days. And then the subsequent orders ship slower and cheaper. You know, they, they might want a uh, marketing inserts, all those types of gift notes, all those types of things that are, that are frankly hard to do. We're focused on those. That's awesome. Really well said. So that's exactly what I want to dive into today is kind of the balancing between creating a tech stack, making sure that everything works and flows together, but still being able to own the whole customer process throughout the whole thing. 
Um, yep. That I think is the uh, is the piece that everyone's looking for now, especially as we move further in 2022. Acquisition costs getting higher. It's really yep. difficult to acquire. We're seeing money starting to tighten up a little bit. You know, keeping those subscribers and keeping those one-time customers purchasing over and over again is huge. And I think customer experience is, is kind of that main part there. So um, not going to prompt you anything, but how do you guys think about <laughs> customer experience at ShipBob? Is there any one thing or one metric or one stat or one significant piece of the puzzle that you really dive into, or is it truly the whole thing? Well, I guess that depends. Do you mean customers as in purchasers of e-commerce goods from our merchants or our, our customers, which are the merchants? Uh, the goal is always to deliver better final experience for those end customers. So how do your merchants think about providing that experience? Yeah, totally. Because because if it was the latter, if it's our merchant experience, you know, we, we do the typical stuff. You know, we do we do the feedback sessions, which are really intense. And then we do, you know, NPS scoring and feature requests and all that stuff. And that's great. Totally. If we talk about the end customer experience, like how do we help basically as a 3PL that's frankly behind the scenes? Right. We don't want to be front and center. We don't even want our brand anywhere near the end customer. Right. Um, how do we help those, those merchants um, sell more, do better, whatever? We think about it typically on two vectors. Well, maybe it's three vectors. So one is just like the table stakes stuff. It's the basic job to be done. And we better do it consistently and in a crazy high rate. Um, and so that's typically takes the form that typically takes the form of SLA achievement, uh, service level agreement is, is kind of like our industry term for our promise to our customers. So we promise a 99.98, I think on time deliver on time fulfillment rate. <clears throat> and we monitor that daily customers can see it in their dashboard, meaning merchants can, and we want to make sure that it, you know, if your end customer, if you're a merchant, your end customer, um, wants to, to order from you, they get it in a timely fashion based on your promise that you're putting on your website. So that's, that's all the table stakes stuff. Right. And delivery, delivery speed comes into that too. We, we do a lot of carrier management. We have like 35 carrier services we use. So that's the basic stuff. We always got to do our job. If we don't do that, nothing else that I'm about to say matters. Nothing matters. So that's, I think that's a lot of our focus. It's worth actually drilling into that just for one second. That, that often sure. gets overlooked. And I think that's, that's kind of the basis of some of these companies that scale so well. You look at your Shopify, it's something we were talking about earlier. They just do everything so well on a base level. Like it just works. You never have to worry about, is this thing going to work? Is it not going to work? How is this going to fold into to my overall profit and loss? It, it just works. And that's such a huge piece of it that really cannot go you know, overstated. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. It, you know, for better or for worse, it's, um, it's one of those things that sometimes folks assume is the case with all the companies out there and it's just not. Yeah. And then they get, they get burned later, um, which makes a lot of our job when we focus on these basic things, a lot of it's about um, retention. Uh, it, it's very retention focused in terms of our customer base. Um, we we typically have a, an incredibly high retention rate. I mean, it's it's actually an insanely high retention rate for 3PL, which we believe is kind of a proof point of we're actually doing our job that we promised during sales process. You know what I mean? So all that stuff is basic and table stakes. And I will say one more thing about that. You mentioned it's overstated how easy that is. It, it totally is overstated how easy that is. It's incredibly hard to do. As a, as a matter of fact, we are, I think, the only major 3PL at this point, besides maybe Shipmonk, we own our entire WMS. So every line of code that controls every touch of every package, or every order, I should say, and then package that comes from literally from the point it, it hits Shopify's API and it's placed all the way through to it's on a customer's porch, every single line of code in that value chain is controlled by us and our engineers. That's amazing. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's honestly crazy. I mean, I think when we pitched this idea, but way back in the day, we were fundraising quite a bit. 
VCs were like, well, what are you guys doing? Like, that's way, why don't you just go buy a WMS? Right. We firmly believe, we take this like Apple approach where we firmly believe that owning, like they own the hardware and the software and they believe that's a better experience. We want to take the same approach. We want to own all the OMS, all the delegation, all the brain, but we also want to own the WMS, the, the IoT, the, 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 thing, the things that move the physical world. And we, we take a really good stance there. So uh, we also own or franchise all of our warehouses, which is again, you know, not to make this about shit, Bob, but it's all about control. Um, if you cannot achieve your SLA, which happens sometimes, it's an exceptions-driven business, things happen, right? It's the real world. How do you make it better instantly? And if you don't own your fulfillment centers or if you don't franchise them and you don't have lots of control, then how do you do that? It's, it's hard. So there anyway, really that's enough to do any of that. It, or, or it just, it, it creates three layers of, of middle steps between, you know, hey, I have customer, customer A has sure. a problem and it's not on time. And, you know, the warehouse person that actually needs to go and physically move the good. So, so we just try to reduce those layers. Anyway, that's, that's enough about chip, Bob. But the first step is, like I mentioned, it's table stakes. We got to do yeah. stuff on time. We got to deliver on our promise. The second vector that we use when we think about customer experience and customer experience is all about conversion optimization. And conversion optimization usually for us uh, is about fast and cheap shipping. Because if you think about it, that, that Amazon promise, we live in this Amazonified world, uh, primified world, if you will. And so we typically want to offer as fast and as cheap two-day shipping or, or less than two-day shipping as possible to our customers, our merchants, so they can offer it on their website and they can get that extra conversion bump that comes from, oh, cool. I can see that if I order this today, I'll get it by you know Saturday morning, which is totally. So conversion experience is one. Second, and then that, that can help, especially with, as you mentioned, the, the rising cost of acquisition. The second vector, or the third vector rather, is um, is loyalty and, and retention. And that's that's a lot of this customization work. You know, we do gift notes natively. We focus a lot on marketing inserts in, in the physical package. Because um, I always like to say that, uh, you know, your package, if you think about loyalty marketing channels, your, your physical package is the only one with 100% open rate ever. You're never going to get 100% click rate on literally any other marketing channel, but you're going to get it on a physical good. So why not use that as a, as a, as a marketing vehicle? And, and we do, we allow all that stuff. We, we built it in natively to our tech um, because we really want to help our customers with retention. Let's dive into the unboxing experience then. I, I love this whole idea. I heard that a few years ago and it was something that stuck with me that every single time you order something, it's really the only touch point that, that truly is 100% open rate or click rate or whatever you want to call it because it is the final package. And a lot of people just overthink that and they think, you know, okay, well, you know, the box landing on their doorstep, we're good to go. We'll wait for the next order. But it's such a missed opportunity to, like you said, put an insert in there or do a custom box or do some sort of surprise and delight or make sure that everything's arranged in the box a certain way. It's not just bouncing around depending on what the product is. Um, talk about how your, you were maybe examples of unboxing that you've seen work really, really well. Yeah, totally. You know, I always, um, one of the, the pinnacle unboxing experiences that I, as a consumer always hold in my mind, when I think about like, how do we serve our merchants better is Allbirds. You know, I, my wife ordered some, I don't have any, but my wife ordered some one time, um, or I think I got them for as a, as a gift. And it was, it was just this unique and beautiful experience. I mean, it, I'm not a big Instagrammer, but it kind of made me want to pull out my phone. It was that good. You know, it was, it was all eco-friendly, sustainable packaging, which as a consumer, I, I personally am, am attuned to. And then you kind of unfolded it in a very different way from a typical shoebox, and it had kind of some nice messaging on it. There was an insert in it talking about care instructions. There was another insert on the other side that was talking about, um, you know, other like styles and things that they have. Like I know they have the wool and they have the, the plant-based. And so it was just this really cool experience relative to just ordering shoes or buying shoes at a store. And so I always think about that as like, th that's kind of 
that's the paradigm that we should shoot for for our to offer our customers. Now, why do people why do people not do that? Like you mentioned, it's expensive and it's tedious, or it's both, <laughs> depending on if you're running your own fulfillment centers or fulfilling yourself. Um, you know, these are process flows that take man hours. They take labor, right. and that's expensive. Or if you're outsourcing, I mean, very few 3PLs can do this unless you come to them and say, I'm a huge business already. You, you're going to do anything you, you know, I want you to do because I'm going to pay you millions of dollars. So the big nut to uncrack is how do we, how do you enable that Allbirds type experience for the little guy? And so that's what we've been working on. It's really interesting because I think even things like tissue paper, like a sticker, like the type of box, I think goes a really, really long way. Everyone's so used to, like you mentioned, just the brown Amazon box. <clears throat> that having something different show up, whether it's a green box or a blue box, you know, just something that kind of stands out a little bit more immediately. You recognize that's my package. I know what it is. The brand loyalty is there. That goes a long way, even just from something simple as a couple colors. Yeah. And I think people sometimes overestimate the cost. I mean, custom packaging is not, is not cheap. Um, right. And there's high, usually there's high minimum order quantities and things like that, but sometimes people overestimate the cost and, and hassle of it. You know, I, I ran an e-commerce brand just on the side for, for fun, positivepartum.com. It's a, it's a basically a gift set for expecting moms and uh, to help the postpartum experience be much more positive. And, uh, you know, we were very presentation focused um, because it's, it's a gift set. You know, it's, it's kind of like a fun thing. It needs to be. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It needs to be. And so what we used to do, um, which I, I thought was really, I think, value added, and we got some good commentary on it from our customers, is we would have the custom box, and yeah, we'd pay some money for it and stuff. It wasn't crazy, though. It was just a pretty much a, a nice shipper with some good coloration and our logo on it. And then uh, the tape was actually, you know, inspirational messages for mom. So it was like, you got this, or you're the best mom, or, you know, mom power, or whatever. And and then we would wrap all of that in a big, black, non-plastic poly mailer that is compostable. And it says, huge black on the, on the poly. It says this, this poly is, is compostable. Um, and we got so many good comments on that. I mean, yes, did it, did it decrease our margin a little bit? I'd say two or three bucks, but the level of feedback that we got was so strong that people started repeat purchasing. And, and that was a lot of the source of our growth. Not that we did exceptionally well, but it was, it was a good source of orders for us. There's a really interesting conversation going on now of, of the sustainability aspect of these brands. Is it for real or is it for show? Uh, because like you just mentioned, it definitely decreases margins. You obviously have to kind of put a little bit more money into this to make it happen. But there's a lot of people that see these kinds of things and think, you know, oh, okay, that's great. I'm going to reorder. Or there's kind of just some talk in the atmosphere about people wanting things to be sustainable, but they won't actually purchase a product that is in sustainable packaging or something like that. Do you have any experience with that? Or do you have any kind of preference on like how that works or, or anything? Yeah. I mean, what you described is, is the big question. Is it greenwashing or is it real? You know, and I think Unfortunately, it depends on the brand, but I anticipate us moving in a direction as a society where um, regu the regulatory environment increasingly favors the real thing. Um, and the, and when, whenever you have, I mean, this is more philosophical and maybe ec economics related, but whenever you have an industry that is at risk for being regulated, like e-commerce is, so for example, uh, those of us that, that ship to Europe, like we have a phone center near Germany in the, on the Poland border, um, Germany just introduced a new packaging waste law. And there are a lot of nuances to this, but it really increases the cost of doing business for folks that aren't already sourcing sustainable packaging and, and knowing what to do about it. So I think what will happen, and by the way, the UK is, is about to do the same thing from what I've heard. Um, so I think the best thing brands can do in an environment like we're in, where it's pre-regulatory, it, it, not a ton of regulatory pressure, is start to self-regulate. 
And so when you self-regulate, you reduce the risk that there's punitive regulations later that can really, really impact the cost of doing business. And now this is very, again, I'm like at the very philosophical level, but that's something that I see as a trend in the next five to 10 years. It, it, there will be increased regulation. The best thing brands can do now is to start getting ahead of it. Now, when we talk about sustainability in general, this is the thing that, to be honest, as a consumer and as a citizen of the world, I mean, this scares me the most. E-commerce is a massive contributor to carbon emissions. Um, consumers do want it. The question is how much do they want it? How much are they willing to pay for it? I think looking at apps on Shopify, like EcoCart, for example, are you familiar with EcoCart at all? Yes. Yeah, I mean, they've had a crazy growth story. And actually, I think Shopify just rolled out um, in the last few days or so their Shopify Planet app, um, which yeah, allows you to so. do carbon emission offset. So, I mean, there's 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 companies in this space testing this hypothesis of do customers really care and will they pay? And they're, they're actually being successful. So I think that's a really, really nice narrative. And, and that supports my belief, or at least the trend that I see more than my belief, that this is going to become a real thing. So you're kind of thinking, and, and maybe urging is too strong of a word, but you're kind of suggesting suggesting and hoping brands kind of take this uh, this economical approach before it's done to them, before they're kind of forced to do it. And then I think that, that might even create some more headaches for brands in the future as well, because we're going to hit some supply chain issues. Everyone's going to be ordering the same things again. We're in, in a world where supply chain issues already exist. So you might as well kind of take that next step forward on your own and make the world a better place, do everything you can for, for your brand. Um, and kind of push the war forward. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the, the whole like pre-regulatory um, action thing, that, that's primarily for the big brands. But as a small brand, what's really cool right now is we have so many arrows in our quiver. If you want to get better at sustainability, it, it doesn't have to be, first of all, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Right. And second of all, you don't have to do everything. You, I mean, it's a laundry list. You can just start checking the boxes on the things that are most either impactful for, for you or maybe they're the easiest lift for you or both. And just start going down that list. I mean, you're not going to be perfect overnight, but no one's asking us to be perfect overnight. Um, even consumers typically aren't asking us to be perfect overnight. So I, I think about it as a journey more than more than a destination. And, and it's certainly not like a switch you flip. Um, it's just something to be cognizant of and, and start trying. So like EcoCard is a great example, tactically. If you don't use EcoCard today and you're selling on Shopify, go explore it. I mean, I guarantee you that that will, at least testing it, will, will do nothing but benefit you. Um, at worst, it'll be neutral. What do what do you do at ShipUp to to offset some of this? Do you guys have plans in place? Yeah, I mean, logistics is logistics is a huge source of um, of the carbon emissions from every e-commerce order. I think it's about forty percent typically. So what, even when you take in like manufacturing and co-packing and all that other stuff, um, logistics is is a big part. Um, and so we need to do our part too. Uh, I actually lead a task force at ShipUp called GreenBob, which is our sort of internal very employee-led, but of course, with our executive buy-in um, attempt to get a little bit more green. And so we we look at it around four areas. Um, number one is reducing our packaging waste. We already do that, and we, we support uh, native uh, eco-friendly packaging. Uh, two is reducing returns. We don't typically get into that game, but there are a lot of things you can do to reduce returns at the point of purchase or pre-purchase um, sure. that we are, are happy to consult folks on. Um, number three is actually offsetting our our costs, or sorry, our, our carbon emissions, um, which typically takes the form of, you know, looking at our utility bills for our fulfillment centers, obviously trying to reduce those first, but then whatever we can't reduce, trying to offset that by investing in afforestation projects and things like that. So we do that natively. Like that doesn't cost anything to the merchant. That's an institutional decision we've made. It's amazing. And then the, the fourth thing is, of course, the last mile. We cannot control, we're a 3PL. 
we cannot yet control whether or not UPS rolls out a fleet of you know, carbon neutral trucks. Um, we hope they do. Uh, and when they do, we will avail ourselves of them, but we can't control that today. And so what we do um, to help that last mile delivery when it leaves ShipBob is we have an app that you install on your ShipBob account if you want, and it just calculates the carbon emissions based on the type of transit and the distance and the package weight size, of course, and then it automatically um, invests in these same projects that we invest in. So it, it kind of invests under our umbrella account for these same projects, um, and it makes you carbon neutral for the last month. Interesting. So there's kind of a, a feel-good component to it as well. Yeah, and you get like a marketing page, of course, you know, if you want to showcase right. that to your customers. Um, not everyone does. Some people do, or some merchants do, I should say. But um, yeah, exactly. You you kind of, if it's just something you want to do to be better a better steward of the earth, great. If you want to market it, you can do that too. It's up to you. Interesting. Definitely sounds like this is a, this is a passion project for you personally. Uh, sounds like <laughs> Shipbob definitely, definitely kind of owns this as well and, and is doing as much as they can. I think it's really cool. Um, yep. Off topic question before we hop to our last topic of the day here. Uh, is, is Bob a part of ShipBob? Is there a reason why is screen <laughs> Bob? Why is everything Bob? Oh my gosh. Why is everything Bob? Um, we've been, I've been asking that since day one. Uh, so the, the story here is that you know, when I first started at ShipBob, I am in my orientation. This is years ago. We were 40 employees at the time. And um, and our COO walks in, one of our co-founders, Debay, and he's like, hey, you might be asking yourself, what is ShipBob? What does that even mean? Who's Bob? And we're like, yeah, we actually are. And he goes, well, it's not a name. It's an acronym. It stands for bend over backwards because we want to bend over backwards for our customers. And, and embedded into our psyche and just like our mission statement and all this other stuff is customer first, creative problem solving, period. You know, we'd much rather do something to help one customer, even if it doesn't scale, than say no because we have some product roadmap or whatever. Um, and then he he sat there and let us sit with that for ten seconds or so, and then he looked at his deadpan and goes, "That's all made up after the fact." Honestly, it was the cheapest domain name at the time, and we were poor entrepreneurs starting a business in our in our apartment, and we just wanted the cheapest domain name with the word "ship" in it. And I was like, we all kind of laughed at that. But um, but now it's become something more than that because, like I said, we've gone back and said this is part of our ethos to spend over backwards. That's amazing. I love that you can kind of <laughs> align that after the fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so now. funny because we, yeah, exactly. It had all of us going. We were like, oh, it was so intentional. And then he was like, no, actually, it was nine dollars a month on on GoDaddy <laughs> to buy this domain. That's pretty great. Hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna go cheap initially, though, find something to to kind of validate the story <laughs> a little bit later. All right. Yeah. Kudos kudos to the ShipBob team for that one. Final piece here. Um, we uh, we've talked in the past. I, I know that lifetime value is a huge piece of recharge. That's kind of the the big value that we always push for our merchants at the very end. Um, what is it that recharge? I'm sorry. What is it that ShipBob kind of constantly looks at? Do you work towards average order value? Do you work towards lifetime value? Um, what's the big value for your merchants who use ShipBob? Yeah, totally. So you know, LTV is is one of those things that as a business owner you're going to care about the most. Um, you know, I would say probably between the, it's like conversion and, and LTV. Those are like yeah. Or CAC and LTV, which conversion is part of CAC. But, you know, we, we do think about it a lot. Um, what's interesting is not all of our merchants look at us as a lever to help with LTV, but we really can't. And so the merchants that are a little bit more savvy in the past who have come to us and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm trying to increase my LTV. Here are some ideas I have. What have you guys seen that's successful? We actually can help them. And so I'll break a couple of those down and we can go in further. If you yeah. Want. If you think about LTV, really what it is, it's, it's a function of two things, right? It's a function of AOV and it's a function of re repeat order rate. Spot on. And we can help with both. So on the AOV side, um, the, the most significant lever we've seen that's 
withstood the test of time and A-B testing and everything with our customers on average. I mean, every business is different, of course, but on average is offering free shipping or fast shipping thresholds. And so what I mean is you look at ShipBob's, you know, rate cards and the things that we would offer you as a customer and you say, okay, cool. Well, it costs me maybe $3 more to have two day shipping than standard shipping and standard shipping averages three to five days. Okay. I'm going to on my, on a banner, maybe on my product page, or maybe nested right under the product description, right under the buy button, or maybe even in the cart level, I'm going to have all these things in there about if you get to $50 or if you get to $100 on this order, I'll give you free fast shipping, or I'll give you fast shipping for the same price as standard shipping, or I'll give you free shipping entirely, whether it's fast or not. And experimenting with those dials actually has, has, um, has significantly increased AOV for some of our customers. I've seen 30%. So, um, I mean, it's, again, it's all going to depend on your business. For a lower value item, you're going to see a bigger bump than a right. higher value item, of course. But um, in the beauty space, this works really well. In the health and wellness space, this works really well. Supplements, for sure. Supplements, yep, exactly. So try it. Try it. A-B test. That's the beautiful thing about Shopify. You can just fiddle around with things and try them. Um, so I that's one number love one. that. I wanted to get to that one cool and quick. I, I'm a big supplement yeah. guy and that's that's my favorite thing that I see or maybe even least favorite to be honest. But, you know, I'm ordering <laughs> and I have, you know, $10, $20, $30 in the card and says, you know, just get to 50 for free shipping. I'm thinking, you know, shipping is going to be $4. So I might as well yep. spend the extra $20 to offset that four, which is kind of a weird philosophical, tr- uh, you know, mind trick. Um, yes. But it increases average order value. It totally does. So I, I totally agree with you. Um, A-B test it, play around with things, see what works, see what doesn't work. Uh, but that's an awesome way to test that test that out. Yeah, and there is a psychological um, thing component there that we've tested and it's proven to be true where customers care more today. I mean, this might change in the future with consumer mindset shifting, but customers today care more about getting free shipping, even if they're paying more overall than they would have paid for the shipping. I don't know why it's this wacky thing. Maybe it's a millennial thing. I don't know. But yeah, customers love free shipping. So that that's one component. If you want to raise your AOV, Think about thresholds and think about rewards for those thresholds, whether it's fast, free and fast, or free. I would try all of them. Yep. Um, so that's number one. And, and then as far as repeat rate, where we really love to see brands go here, especially if they're using like, like recharge for subscriptions or something, we like to see them building some like custom logic, which you can do easily with recharge and ship out combined. Yep. We like to see them build custom logic into that first order versus the nth order. And the first order, typically the thing that works best is when they get it really fast. When they, when they order that first item of their hopefully long-term subscription, you want to get it to them as fast as possible. And you want to have the pretty box and you want to have the really nice experience. So spend a little bit more money on that and program the tool, whether it's recharge talking to Shopify and then talking to ShipBob or recharge direct to ShipBob, whatever you do, program that tool to treat the first order differently, which is very possible and a lot of our customers do the second thing is the nth order. So whether it's the fifth or 10th or 15th, have these milestones to give these surprise and delight moments to your customer. It is amazing how long of, how long that goes. Like, like my wife, for example, subscribes to, uh, I think it's called Monat. It's like a, it's like a sort of semi-customized shampoo uh, brand and it's very expensive. And, you know, we, every, every quarter we talk about our budget and we're like, oh, should we cancel this? It's kind of expensive. And then they'll send us, you know, like this just nice little like, hey, you get a free extra whatever it is on this fifth order of your subscription because you've been a customer for five months. We're like, oh, we'll keep it for a while. You know what I mean? That yeah. stuff goes such a long way. So test that. Um, and and, and I, I want to underscore one thing here because sometimes when I talk about these things, they sound aspirational. They sound like only the all birds of the world can do this, the, the big brands. This is not 
super complicated stuff. This is not black diamond slopes off piece. This is, if you have a modern 3PL or modern warehouse in WMS, and you have a modern solution for subscription management, I mean, this should be just some field mapping during onboarding. This is not like an insanely complicated thing. I totally agree with you. And in the surprise and delight gifts don't need to be over the top. I think actually one right. thing that, we, that we've talked about <clears throat> in the past on the podcast is that it's a good way to get rid of inventory, actually. So it's, a, yeah. it's, it's kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, actually. You can get rid of some older inventory, maybe SKUs that didn't sell super well that you want to kind of just give away and say, you know, here's a surprise. Or you do new SKUs in a, yeah. either a smaller quantity or a sample size or something like that. And you say, hey, check this thing out, free gift, you know, enjoy it totally on, on us. And that actually may convert into a full-size product, which again, then increases average order value, increases lifetime value. So there's yeah. really easy, simple ways to do this without overthinking it. You know, the term surprise and delight sometimes feels like a giant milestone in people's minds. It's not, it's really simple. Totally. And you think you're going to pay more for shipping when you have an extra item in the order. And honestly, with, with products like that, you know, typically you won't because unlike an FBA, for example, most 3PLs price per order. So it's just, the, it's just how, how big the item is. And so, yeah. you know, maybe you'll have a marginal increase by throwing in a freebie. Maybe you'll have a marginal increase in weight. Maybe it'll raise your price 50 cents a buck, but it's not crazy. It's not going to break, you know, break your business by any means. Yep, absolutely. Let's get into a couple of closing questions here. I'm really excited to hear some advice from you. Uh, sure. Advice to a subscription brand who's just getting off the ground, just launching. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a twofer on this one. Okay. One is just advice I would give any entrepreneur. As a recovering entrepreneur myself, we alluded to this. Um, one thing that really helped me as an entrepreneur was 1% um, improvement every day. So a lot of times I thought in terms of like rocket launch type releases and, and changes where you have to like do all this prep work and you have to make sure everything's perfect. And then only then can you press that big red button and launch the thing. I really quickly wanted to get that out of my brain once I realized that was a super stressful way to operate a business. Um, and it's probably not effective either. So I would say instead of that approach, try to get that out of your mind, unless it's really crucial for some specific reason and try to get into this approach of 1% improvement every day, because those things compound. You know, 1% improvement every day times 30 days is actually an 80% improvement because it's compounding, right? So focus on the things that you can just, just do a little bit better every day. And it's, it's a very freeing feeling. That's number one, and I'd give that to any entrepreneur. Love that. The second thing specific to e-com entrepreneurs is um, really focus on like the product market fit and specifically like the marketing and messaging component of the product market fit really early on. I, when I started Positive Pardon, my little side brand, um, I focused so much on the product and the, the tech aspect, because that's what I'm good at. And like the sourcing for manufacturers, like all the backend stuff. And I barely spent any time on marketing. And I regret that massively. You know, I should have started with marketing. I should have said, hey, I'm going to buy these. I'm not even going to wor worry about my manufacturers right now and worry about contract management and worry about, you know, whatever, minimum order quantities. I'm just going to like go to Target and buy the things that I'm going to put in this box whenever the order comes in. And what I need to focus on is that message that's going to resonate most at the point of the, the ad click or at the point of someone seeing my website for the first time or whatever. So I would really recommend just focus on the, the marketing aspect really early. Interesting. And I think there's, there's definitely a balance there because if you have a very either tech savvy product or a product that like, you know, really needs to work <laughs> extremely well, um, I think that might not exactly work. But it's really interesting to hear that you know, the, the message is almost as important as the product. So that's you know what's interesting? interesting? I kind of think it's more important. I mean, maybe this is controversial. We could have another topic about this <laughs> that we do for an hour. But, but I, you know, as a, product, as a former product person, I'm shocked to hear myself say this, but sometimes I think the messaging actually matters more. 
And that's that's a little bit sad because of course you you want to believe as a consumer that the best products will win out. Right. But you have to have the messaging. It has to resonate with the customer. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree for you. All right, let's flip the script here. What advice would you give to a subscription brand who has already scaled and is trying to kind of reach that 10,000, 100,000 subscriber mark? Hmm. Okay, so if they've already scaled a little bit. Um, already moving, let's say something that's going to get them over the plateau, get them over the top and keep scaling. Yeah, I think, I think. I mean, there are a couple of things. Like, like one is it's going to be all about optimization at this point. It's going to be more about optimization at this point than it is about creation. And there's lots of things you can do with optimization, but but the, the specific tactical piece of advice that I would say is, um, is about data and A-B testing. Um, and A-B testing is just one type of testing. Like you don't have to do A-B tests, but, um, but typically they work pretty well. And uh, cohort modeling is another one that, that works really well, but try to get a little bit more sophistication around your decision-making to optimize your major workflows. And so if you're, if you're doing, let's say 1,000, 2,000 orders a month and you want to get to 10K or 100K, you're, you could like almost like chunk your business processes into like functional areas. You know, there's like manufacturing and sourcing, there's delivery experience and warehousing, right. there's, you know, um, marketing and, you know, ads management and, and acquisition. And there's, there's all these things. So do that. And then think of just like, think of a laundry list, like do a brain writing exercise, which you can Google if you don't know what brain writing is, but do a brain writing exercise and generate a ton of ideas. And no idea at this point is bad. And maybe for each vertical, you'll have 10 to 20, 30 ideas. Once you have those, get together with a small group of people you trust and like at the organization that you think have good brains for this stuff and just evaluate those ideas and vote on them and then pick three. It doesn't need to be rocket science. Like you don't need to do everything all at once. Like I mentioned earlier with the, the sustainability stuff, but just pick three in each vertical and start testing. You know, it, it, again, it's, it, it, it takes a little bit of time, but at worst, you're going to be neutral. At worst, you go back to the old way when you try something and it doesn't work. And I think that that kind of optimization, those kind of tweaking the dials, that's crucial for growth. Very rarely does an operator like wake up and have this brilliant light bulb idea and it's going to help their business. Just It's like a massive unlock or still right. silver bullet. Like that doesn't really exist in practice, very rarely. So, you know, I don't know, once you started to scale, you, the, it, everything starts to work. So you have to kind of pick and choose the small things that might kind of boost you over the top a little bit more. There's never going to be a silver bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I think maybe they exist in the world, but they're super rare. So yeah, so my point is use data. Don't be overwhelmed by the, you know, the sea of possibilities. Narrow, just get a list and then start narrowing it down and just start testing. Final question for you. We're going to hop into subscription uh, products. What physical subscription products do you subscribe to? Hmm. Well, I mentioned Monat earlier. Um, that's my wife. Uh, so I can't comment too, too much on that. But, um, you know, I'm a huge sucker for, for craft coffee. And uh I really, um, I just started subscribing to Blue Bottle, um, based in San Francisco. Love it. Great third wave coffee. I mean, they're just, they just do a really nice job. Um, so I just started subscribing there and it's been a really nice experience. It's like a variety pack where every month I get a different, you know, style or whatever. And they include like a little note card that says, you know, Hey, this is our giant steps blend, which is really, really bold and chocolatey. And here's how you should prepare it. It's really, it's kind of a fun experience. Like, I really look forward to it. Awesome variety coffee pack. Most people with their coffee, they're very picky. They stick one <laughs> going. Like cigarettes. Yeah, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I, like to, I like to test around and experiment. We'll keep bending over backwards for customers. Thanks, Kevin, for joining us <laughs> for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. We want to thank Kevin once again for joining us. If you're interested in ShipBob, you can head over to shipbob.com.